This week I went on Google and I researched something that quite honestly I've never researched before. In preparation for the message today, I got on the internet and I typed in these words, the most dangerous place in the world. Now, a bunch of different places, videos and articles came up, but one of the first things that caught my attention was an article that was entitled, The 15 Most Dangerous Places on Earth. Obviously, each of these places is in this article for different reasons, but in this article, it talked about 15 different locations from around the world that are said to be the most dangerous. Now listen, it is January in Chicago. The weather has been all over the place, and some of you want the winter to be over. In fact, I imagine that some of you are even thinking about summer vacation and where it is that you are going to spend uh, that vacation. Well, um, I want to share with you this morning three places that you should not go on vacation. We've got pictures of all of these as well, but in this article that I found, the third most dangerous place on earth is Chihuahua, Mexico. This city is infested with drug-related crime, Chihuahua, Mexico. Number two on this list, and this is actually a couple of places, this is a region in the world, but the second most dangerous place on earth is Java and Sumatra, Indonesia. What makes this a dangerous area are the natural disasters, everything from floods to droughts to earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis, very prevalent in this part of Indonesia. According to this article that I read, The number one, number one most dangerous place in all of the world is found in San Padro Sula, Honduras. This is a city that is known everywhere as the murder capital of the world. And that makes this a very dangerous place. Now again, as I'm talking about these three places here, if any of them happen to be on your itinerary this upcoming summer... Let me just encourage you that you may want to regroup and take your family to Disneyland instead. Now, uh, you know, it is very easy for us because of technology to identify uh, dangerous places geographically. But unfortunately, it's not quite as easy to identify dangerous places from a spiritual standpoint. Today, from the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to be looking at a a story in the life of King Saul in the Old Testament. And Saul was living in a very dangerous place. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. But I want to invite you to join me in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. We've been navigating our way through the book of 1 Samuel in a series that we've been calling Blast from the Past. And Lord willing, next week we're actually going to conclude our study and we're going to move on to something else. But listen, if you are a student of the Bible, you know that throughout the scriptures there are certain verses that you come across that their meaning is very, very clear. It's very easy to understand those things. If you're a student of the Bible, you also know that there are other places of Scripture 
that you read that aren't so clear. And you maybe even are thinking to yourself, what in the world does that mean? And so if that happens to you as you're reading through the scriptures, that does not mean that you are unspiritual. It just means that you are normal. There are certain passages of scripture that are just hard to understand. The Apostle Paul actually writes about that in the book of 2 Peter. And here's what he says in chapter 3. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these, uh, of these matters. Then Peter uh, says this, he says, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so if you have been at a place where you have thought to yourself, you know what, this passage of scripture, this verse of scripture, this phrase in the scripture is hard to understand. Let me just uh, say this. You are not alone. In fact, one of the disciples who was closest to Jesus thought the exact same thing. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, why is that? Why is it that God would inspire difficult passages of Scripture? Well, I want to give you two reasons, and then we're going to go ahead and look at a very difficult passage of Scripture here in 1 Samuel. Here's one reason why I believe that God inspired difficult passages of Scripture. First of all, God is relational. He's a relational God. And as we pursue him through his word, some things are going to be very easy, but, but there are other things that are going to be harder to understand. And so it's going to require some intentionality on our part that we pursue after God, that we pursue after this relationship with him because he's a relational God. A second reason that I believe that God often inspires difficult passages of scripture is because God is big. God is big. And I don't know about you, but I don't think it's good for us to worship a God who is totally understandable. I love that our God is a God of mystery and that on this side of heaven, we're not able to understand everything. In fact, there are going to be aspects of God, there are going to be aspects of his word that we're not always totally clear on. And that's okay. And so because... God is relational, and because God is big, he has inspired some hard passages of Scripture. And I say all of that to say that what we are about to read today, there are some components in here that are very, very, very clear. They're very easy to understand. But then there are also some parts of this passage that are very challenging and very difficult to understand. And I have been studying this passage, and as I've been looking at it, I've on numerous occasions said to myself, what in the world does that mean? Well, your Bible is open in front of you, 1 Samuel chapter 28. I want to begin reading in verse 3. But here's what's going on, just to kind of set the scene here. Once again, the Philistine army is attacking the nation of Israel. We, we've been seeing this happen throughout the book of 1 Samuel. They're back at this place again. Only this time it appears that David has actually aligned himself with the Philistine army. 
And so because of that, Saul, he's still leading the people of Israel at this point, but he's very, very discouraged. And on top of that, the prophet Samuel has now died. And so Saul feels like he is in a place where the chips are stacked against him. The Philistines are attacking him. uh, David has aligned himself with the enemy, the Philistines, and the prophet Samuel is dead. And so we want to pick up the story here. 1 Samuel chapter 28, beginning in verse 3, it says this. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromances out of the land. What, what that's referring to, medium nec- mediums and necromances, it's referring to all of these people who practice demonic activity. Verse 4. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Once again, in Saul's life, we see this characteristic of fear. In fact, throughout his life, throughout everything that we have seen that he did, he often seems to be captured and captivated by this horrible, paralyzing character trait of fear. Verse 6. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Verse 6 kind of outlines some ways that God would speak to his people. And you think about this, I mean, dreams, that's a pretty easy thing to understand. And uh, prophets, those were people that God would specifically choose to speak his message through. That's a pretty easy thing to understand. But Urim? I mean, what is that? Well, scholars believe that Urim were two rocks. One was called Urim, the other was called Thunum. And on one side of the rock, it said yes. On the other side of the rock, it said no. And what what people did is that when they needed direction, they would come to a priest and the priest would throw these rocks down. And if the rock said yes, yes, it was clear that they were to move forward. If the rock said no, no, then it was clear that they were to stop. But if the rock said yes, no, or no, yes, that meant that there was no real clear direction from God. And so Saul had sought out direction from God by using this, and he had not gotten any clarity on that. Now, before you think to yourself, you know what? I need to go out and get some of those rocks because, listen, I need some direction in life. Let me just say this. That is an Old Testament provision that does not have a New Testament reality, okay? And they kind of stole this idea, made the magic eight ball out of it, but That's not exactly what I would call a way to hear from God. Verse 7. Then Saul said to to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, 
And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necronances from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Listen, Saul did something here that he knew was wrong before God. And this lady who practices demonic activity tells Saul the law. It's pretty incredible here. Look at verse 10. Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, this is actually a very scary verse. I mean, Saul would say to this woman that he somehow had the control of the judgment of God. I, I think that that gives us a little bit of a glimpse of just how dark and how desperate the place is that Saul is living in. Verse 11, and this is where it's about to get very real up in here. It says this, Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out in a loud voice. Now, something happens in this moment that scares this woman. And she's used to kind of rubbing some uh, crystal ball or maybe lighting some candles or something like that. But something happens that just freaks her out, that scares her in this moment. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What, you, what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Once again, there's this constant, consistent message of judgment on Saul. Verse 19, Therefore the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Today you are going to die, Saul. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. 
And then finally, verse 20, then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had, not, or for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. This account ends, and Saul is laying face down on the ground, knowing that his life and his reign as king are over. Listen, obviously there is a lot in these verses here that we could talk about, things that we could really wrestle with. But there is a, uh, there, there's a few big picture things here that I, I think are important for us to point out and to understand and to embrace today. And, and I do want to address some of the difficult things that we've read here as well. But, but every week in this series, I've been uh, giving you a lesson. And so I want to give you kind of a big picture lesson for today. And I hope that we'll be able to leave with this lesson uh, in our minds. And uh, we are going to talk about the medium. We are going to talk about Saul and the spirit of Samuel. But I hope that we all leave this place later on. Uh, when we think about this message, we will embrace this big picture lesson. And we're going to put this lesson up on the screen. Here it is. When I refuse to submit to the word of God, I am living in a dangerous place. When I refuse to submit to the word of God, I am living in a dangerous place. What I want to do here in the remainder of our time is to ask and answer three important questions, difficult questions about living in a dangerous place. And so here's the first question. How do I know if I'm living in a dangerous place? I think that this is a pretty important place to start. How do you and I know if right now in this moment we are living in a dangerous place from a spiritual standpoint? Well, in the first part of this uh, passage here, we see three warning signs that are evident in Saul's life that I believe show us uh, that, that what it looks like to live in a dangerous place. And here's the first one. The first warning sign that we are living in a dangerous place is when we no longer are hearing from God. I believe that a follower of Jesus is in a very dangerous place when you are no longer on a consistent basis hearing from God as you spend time abiding in him. Look back at what it says in verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Now, I want to clarify something here. I believe that when you navigate through the decisions of life, that God usually is going to give one of three answers, either yes, no, or wait. And quite often when um, he's speaking to us and his answer is wait, that can be a very difficult time, a very difficult thing to process through. And during that time of waiting, quite often you and I can think that God is absent or we, we think that he's not with us or that he doesn't care, but that couldn't be further from the truth. What's happening in Saul's life is not God during a, a period of waiting, holding back from speaking to him. What, what's happening in this passage is that God has spoken to Saul over and over and over again. And Saul has repeatedly ignored the voice of God to the point where God has ultimately said, you know what, I'm done speaking to you, Saul. 
Friends, when we say no to God repeatedly in a particular area of our lives, we are developing a hard heart. When we hear the truth and we hear the truth and we hear the truth and we keep ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it, our hearts grow hard. In fact, I read a quote here this week that I thought was really good on this. We're going to put this on the screen, but here it is. A hard heart is not a heart that is necessarily in conscious, in conscious rebellion against God. It is a heart that no longer feels the conviction of God. It is a heart that has grown insensitive to the voice of God. One of the warning signs that you and I are living in a dangerous place spiritually is that we have grown insensitive to the voice of God. And I believe that it should be a consistent prayer for us that God would allow our hearts to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit. That whenever he speaks, whenever he puts something in front of us, that we are so in tune with him that we know that he's speaking to us. And so the first warning sign that we are living in a dangerous place is that we're no longer regularly hearing from God. There's a second warning sign here, and that is when we are blatantly walking in disobedience to God. When we are blatantly walking in disobedience to God. Look at what it says, verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium in Endor. Now, the law, the the scriptures, very, very, very clear about this. In fact, it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord And because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, is driving them out before you. Listen, that's pretty clear in the book of Deuteronomy, and that's pretty clear in 2024 as well. This decision of engaging in this type of demonic activity is not God's plan for us. Saul knew that. He even had led the nation of Israel to get rid of all of those things. Friends, what what I think is super important for us to understand here is just this. It is impossible for us to know clearly what the Word of God says and yet to still choose to live in deliberate disobedience. And, And even as I say that here this morning, if something is being put on your heart by the Spirit of God that you know in this moment that you are living in deliberate disobedience to God, hear me out on this with a heart of love. You are living in a very dangerous place. You are. The third warning sign that we see here in the first part of this passage is just this. We are living in a dangerous place when we have distanced ourselves from wise counsel. When we've distanced ourselves from wise counsel. If you go back to the end of verse 7, it says, 
And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. One commentator said, Surprisingly, his servants seemed both too willing and too able to help him. Saul had reached a place in his life where he had no wise counsel around him. There was no one who was willing to tell him the truth regardless of personal cost. For you and I, we we all need people in our lives who are willing to tell us the truth regardless of whether it hurts or not. We, we, We should all have people that we have given permission to who can get in our face if we are headed down a path of foolishness. But if we see here in Saul's life, what we see is that he has kind of stiff-armed these people. He has separated himself from all wise counsel, which is yet another indicator that he was living in a very, very dangerous place. And so out of these verses, how, how do we know that we're living in a dangerous place? If we are not regularly hearing from God, if we are living in blatant disobedience to God, or if we are distancing ourselves from wise counsel, we are in a dangerous place spiritually. There's a second question, though, that I want us to consider here this morning, and it's this. What are the consequences of living in a dangerous place? Maybe some of you have seen some of the warning signs in your life of this dangerous place that you are in today. And so what are some of the consequences of living this way, the way that Saul did? Well, first of all, I want you to just understand that rebellion against God always has consequences. Any type of rebellion against God always has a consequence. We see two consequences of living in a dangerous place right here in this passage. First of all, we will go to great lengths to cover up our sin. Look at verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Saul knew that what he was doing was disobedient to God. It was so clear to him that that he began to, he went out and he was like, I got to disguise myself. I got to change my appearance, whatever I can do here so that that, that no one can know that it's me. And then just to be safe, I'm going to go out at night too. So that no one knows that it's me. The second consequence of living in this dangerous place is something that we see here in verse 10. We justify our sin based on our circumstances. Uh, Saul was talking to this medium and and he says, you know, uh, I, I know what the law says, but this situation that I'm in, it's a different situation. I mean, it's a unique situation. And so, you know, I just need for you to do what it is that I'm asking you to do in this moment. There is going to be no judgment on you for this. One of the consequences of living in a dangerous place is that we try to cover up our sin. Another consequence of living in a dangerous place is that we begin to justify our sin. And it's because of that tendency within our flesh that all of us have that we see such a strong instruction in the the scriptures that we walk in step with Jesus and we put on the full armor of God in order to face the battle that is raging around us. Because when you and I live with our guard down like we see here that Saul did, we are extremely vulnerable 
to the schemes of the enemy. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I believe that it is both dangerous and scary to walk through a situation and the decisions and the temptations of this world relying on our own energy, our own research, or resources rather, and letting our guard down from a spiritual standpoint. And yet that is exactly what we see here in the life of Saul that landed him in a very dangerous place. Because when you and I are not walking in step with Jesus and our spiritual guard is down, we consider things, we say things, we meditate on things that we would not normally think about if our hearts were fixed on Jesus and we were clothed in the armor of God that's referenced in Ephesians chapter 6. And so I want you to think about this very, very practically here. Because it may just be that you are finding yourself today in a very dangerous place and and you might even be wondering, how did I get here? Well, I want to outline for you a few excuses that I typically have in my life, that you have in your life as well, when we are walking in times of rebellion. We're going to put these on the screen, but here is the first excuse. Somebody made me do it. This morning, if you are finding yourself in a dangerous place and you are trying to justify it, you're trying to cover it up, one of the excuses for you may be somebody made me do it. This person is someone who is uh, into blaming others rather than taking responsibility for their own decisions, choices, and behaviors. Here's another excuse that you have said, that I've said, when we've been living with our guard down in a dangerous place. God made me do it. Have you ever said that before? God made me do it. person who uses this excuse, in essence, believes that God could have stopped this temptation from coming my way. Therefore, God sent this temptation. Look, I want you to know that lie goes against everything that is taught in the scriptures. Here's a third excuse that you've used, that I've used. Very common. God knows I'm weak. Have you ever thought that? When you're living in a dangerous place, you're trying to justify what it is that you're doing. Quite often, you, will, you me, will we'll say to ourselves, well, God knows that I'm weak. That, that, this person, the person who says this, makes this excuse, may not blame God for sending the temptation, but they blame God for the inability to say no to them. There's one more excuse that we often use, and that is this. This is different. This situation is different. This is what Saul uh, does. This is his excuse. 
He, he felt like he was justified because of the situation that he was walking through. He felt like the situation that he was in was so different than everything else that God had spoken about before. And so it was okay to him that he did this. This is different. Look, these excuses might be one of the things that you find yourself using today. You, you, you might, it might be part of the reason why you are in the dangerous place that you are today. But here's the point. If you are seeking to find spiritual power or insight in any source other than God, you are justifying your actions in that way. If you're doing those things, you are in a dangerous place and you are breaking the heart of God. Here's what I believe. If we could see darkness in the way that God sees darkness, and if we could see light in the way that God is light, the, the excuses that we make for being in a dangerous place would not be nearly as satisfying to us as they currently are. I really believe that. These are a few of the consequences of living in a dangerous place, but... Before we move on to the last question, I just want to briefly address this bizarre part of the story that we, we see Saul and this medium and the spirit of Samuel. And I, I just want you to know this. There are lots of different opinions about what actually took place in this chapter. There is a lot of debate here, and the debate pretty much centers around two specific questions. Did this happen by the power of the medium or by the power of God? And then secondly, was this actually the spirit of Samuel or was this a demonic spirit that was impersonating Samuel? Again, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about this. And so quite honestly, the, 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 we don't have all the answers to these questions. There are some things about God that are mysterious and that's okay. But for what it's worth, I want to just give you my opinion my opinion is that I believe that this is a very unique work of God in this situation. And I, I think that there, that there are a few things in this story that kind of support that. The fact that the medium had not, was not able to recognize Saul, the, the, that the, the spirit of Samuel appeared, and when that happened, she was shocked by that. The, the, the message that God gives uh, through Samuel is this uh, message of judgment that is clear and consistent to what God has said in other places, specifically about Saul. And then, and I think that this is a very, very important thing, but there is no demonic power that has any authority over a child of God. Here's what John MacArthur says about this. Though questions have arisen as to the nature of Saul's appearance, or Samuel's appearance, the text clearly indicates that Samuel, not an apparition, were what was evident to the eyes of the medium. God miraculously permitted the actual spirit of Samuel to speak. Because she understood her inability to raise the dead in this manner, she immediately knew that it must have been the power of God. There is no other such miracle as this in all of Scripture. That's my opinion. That's John MacArthur's uh, insight here on this specific passage of Scripture. But the bottom line is, is that we don't really know what happened in this moment. 
However, um, I, I don't want us to lose sight of what, what it is that the scripture is teaching us here because there is a small portion of this story that is highly debatable. There's a third question that I want us to ask and answer briefly, and it's this. How do I remove myself from a dangerous place? If you're here today and you recognize, wow, pastor, you know what? I am in a dangerous place. I'm seeing some of the, the, those consequences. I'm uh, making some of those excuses. How do I remove myself from a dangerous place? Well, as we conclude here, I want to just give you three things, three ways that we can remove, or rather, sorry, six ways, six things that we can remove, do to remove ourselves from a dangerous place. These are six words. We're going to put them all on the screen at once. Here they are. Own, repent, surrender, evaluate, apply, and rest. I want to just briefly talk about each one of these here. Own. If you find yourself today in a dangerous place, I want to challenge you that you would take the responsibility, that you would uh, own up to the mistake that you have made, and don't look for somebody to blame. Don't, don't say, well, you know what? If that other person would have done this, then, then I would have maybe acted differently and it all would have turned out differently. Instead, take responsibility for your actions. Own. Secondly, repent. Confess your sin and turn away from it. Agree with God regarding your disobedience. Tell him that you've sinned and then turn away from that sin. Third word, surrender. Acknowledge before God that only through him can you experience victory. This is a place that Saul never was able to arrive at. Saul was never convinced that God was actually trustworthy. And so he never fully surrendered to him. And I think that often our problem is that we don't understand how God feels about us or we, we, we don't value that enough. Own, repent, surrender, forth, evaluate. We need to determine how temptation has led to a spiritual, uh, sinful action, rather, in our lives that has then become a stronghold in our lives. I mean, we really need to think about this. What are the motives? What are our friends that we have around us? What are, what's maybe the worldview that we have? How has temptation led to a spiritual action, and now has caused us to have this sinful stronghold in our lives. Fifth word, apply. Take the necessary steps to avoid repeating the same unrighteous behavior by removing things that might trigger you. To do this, you might need to end a relationship. You might need to find a new job. You might need to return something that you have stolen. Surround yourself with accountability. You need to identify things that might trigger you and then remove those things from your life. And then finally, rest. Once you have taken the necessary steps, you want to start growing in your relationship with Jesus and you want to find rest in his power and in his grace. And so if you find yourself in a dangerous place, this is a good guide, six things that can uh, help you, six steps that you can take in order to get out of a dangerous place. Own it, repent from it, surrender to God, evaluate your life, apply what you've discovered uh, to, to get yourself back on a healthy track again, 
and then rest in the power and the sufficiency and the grace of God. Again, here's the lesson for today. When I refuse to submit to the word of God, I am living in a dangerous place. My prayer as I've been preparing this message is not that we would be consumed with some kind of debate about Saul and the medium and the spirit of Samuel, even though that can be a a very interesting thing to talk about. My prayer is that God would heighten your sensitivity to his voice, that if today you are living in a dangerous place, that you would be unsatisfied with justifying and covering up your sin, that you, in an attitude of surrender, would begin to pursue an intimate love relationship with God like never before and walk in his victory, his freedom, and his life-giving power. 